Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today I am sitting down to chat with Lo Mansfield. Lo is a wife, mother of three, writer and nurse who has spent a career in labor and delivery. She is passionate about all things maternal and fetal health, as well as ensuring that women know that they have a voice and that they are allowed to use it in these seasons. In today's episode, we talk about dysphoric milk ejection reflex, otherwise known as DMERS. Lo experienced this condition on a personal level, and I am thrilled to have her on today, shedding light about this topic. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Good morning, Lo. How are you today? Hey, good morning. I'm good. It's good to be here. Yeah, so today we're talking about something that truly I had no idea about I, until I think probably my second or third child. Like I didn't experience it myself, so it's not one of those things that you hear about frequently unless, of course, you've experienced it. So we're talking about dysphoric milk ejection reflex, otherwise known as DMER, and you may not have heard of it before, but if you want to kind of just touch base on what exactly it is, and then we can talk about your personal experience with it as well. Yeah. So I always love talking to care providers too, because you would think that this is something we should learn about because it's in theory, like a healthcare condition. So I'm a labor delivery postpartum nurse too. And I, like you, cause I know you're a PA, had no idea what this was too. So it was kind of a shock to walk through it and then be Googling just like anyone else would trying to figure mm -hmm. it out. So I'm going to refer to it as Deemer for the entirety mm -hmm. of the conversation. It's easier. <laughs> yes. I uh, mispronounce that first word quite often when I try to keep saying it. So uh, Deemer is basically like layman's terms is you, it's happens when you're breastfeeding or pumping. So essentially when you're expressing milk from your body postpartum, and you have this uh, reflexive, and it's a hormonal response, which we can get into, nasty, kind of like hollow, it can be anxious, grief, weird feeling, right associated with letdown of milk. So you go to latch your baby on and like, boom, the bottom falls out. It's a weird experience to try to explain because it, they can be really personal too, which we can talk about that as well, the way you respond. But I did not have it with my first daughter. And so when I had my second child and I was feeling these things, I could tell what, like, it was like one of those, what the heck is this? Especially mm -hmm. because I had that first experience to compare it to and did not walk through any of that. 
So like basic definition is going to be like an abrupt dysphoria or a negative emotion that occurs right before your milk releases and then continues for a couple minutes. A lot of people describe it as a wave of emotion and then it kind of passes. The only issue with that though is we can have multiple letdowns in one session or you can like switch to their side and you get another letdown. So depending on the woman and the severity of Deemer, she can have kind of multiple waves of this negative emotion throughout the one session of expressing so pumping or breastfeeding. So can you, so can you just describe to us, like, what would you do? Is there anything that you can do to try to get through this? I mean, obviously, you know, it's one of those things where I had like these terrible, like fissures and like, oh, so the the latch was the hardest part for me with every single one of my kids. Like this wasn't just one kid specific. Like I had so many issues with every single one of them. I was just better apt to deal with it as I went on because I I knew what to expect. But that first minute or so was so excruciating. But then once a minute went by, I was like, okay, I can manage this. But it was like that first minute. So I would kind of compare it to that as in like, you know, it's this thing that you'll experience, but it will go away. But like you said, you know, multiple letdowns means you have to kind of deal with this maybe multiple times in one feeding. Like, is there anything that you can suggest that might be helpful? Right. So I think that it's important to understand, this is kind of like the funky part about it too, is that it's like a reflexive physiological reaction. It's not really part of the perinatal mood disorders, right? And Mm -hmm. it's deep. So it's easy to think, Like we could treat this with, you know, maybe medication if it's really severe Mm -hmm. or lifestyle changes, things like that. And in theory, those things can help um, just because the better a woman feels really postpartum in general, right? The better she can handle any of these challenges that come up. So I think the biggest thing for most of us is that idea of understanding what it is first helps you then reconcile with the idea that I don't hate breastfeeding. I don't hate being with my baby. I am having a physical response to something and, you know, like name it to claim it, like with an intrusive thought, the idea of like naming it and then walking through it. So that's what it makes me think of is uh, one of the biggest things is the education and understanding of what's happening. So you can kind of feel it coming. Okay. Yes, I know what it is. Acknowledge this and this will pass. And that was a huge help for me as well. Because I agree with you, those first couple weeks postpartum, especially if breastfeeding isn't going perfectly. And really, I just think it's hard for everyone. I think latch is hard for everyone, even when it goes well. So you have these couple weeks where everything feels really hard related to feeding, if not more weeks. That's how we actually, my husband called it out with me. So again, first baby didn't have it. So he saw a very probably, you know, quote unquote, regular breastfeeding experience. Things Mm -hmm. went fine. We did it second baby, we were like six or seven weeks postpartum. And he looked at me one day and he said, what is wrong with you? You Mm. seem like you hate feeding our daughter. You seem pissed off every time, like she's hungry or she wakes up or something. And I had felt this way for a couple weeks and I knew, and I had gotten through the like, oh, you know, first two weeks are hard. My nipples are hot mess. I'm engorged, like all of that. And I still was very unhappy with the idea of having to like go in and nurse her. And so I think that that comparison to that, like latch and the like, you know, kind of clench your teeth and get through it is good. 
because it is, it's something that comes in a wave and then it should pass. The only thing different here is like this continued on through the weeks and months following, whereas hopefully, ideally, you know, like latch pain and dealing with that does get better. And so I think that that was where it was like, all right, I should not be feeling this way at this point in our breastfeeding story. And so for me, I was right around my six week postpartum check-in with my midwives. And so I brought it up to them. I legitimately, when my husband brought it up, I was pissed at him. You know how it is like your postpartum, you're like, I'm a hot mess. And I know that. And I think that Deemer can hide behind that as well, because there are all kinds of hormones going on too. And so you're kind of like, oh, I'm supposed to feel weird and crazy. That's what everyone tells me. But I, it was the sadness that was the kicker for me. I was sad. And so I literally Googled, why are you, why am I sad when I breastfeed? And it, I mean, it pops up like right away. I think that that's the pretty standard way that people kind of dig into this and search. And so I was a little shocked because I educate and said mom's home all day long, you know, after they have mm-hmm. a baby. And I never said, hey, if you feel this, like, mm. you know, I just never heard of it from our lactation consultants, anything. And so I asked my midwife and kind of said, hey, I think I have this. Is this a thing? Am I crazy? And she said, no, it's a thing. But essentially the answer was like, there's not a ton that we can do. And she's, I love my midwife. So it wasn't like a dismissive thing. It was just, so no understanding it, like I had mentioned earlier and knowing that it will pass, I really think is such a massive part of it and makes it easier as the months go by. They do say um, like less caffeine, better rest, good hydration, which really these are all just true for standard. Yeah. Postpartum life, you know, sometimes distraction, which has been an interesting one for me. And I'm sure you can appreciate this because of how you're feeling about social media, but I don't necessarily want my phone in my hand with my littles, especially in these like really, I don't know, intimate, sweet moments together, but the distraction helps. So it doesn't feel so prominent in your face, how yucky you feel for those few minutes. So that's actually suggested often like watch a TV show or get on your phone or something like that too. exercise because it obviously has just a normal benefit to our hormones and our feel good hormones anyways. So have you ever had any of your patients like randomly say anything to you that was like, why do I feel this way? Or, I mean, I know you don't have them for very long. Uh, most of the time um, when they're postpartum, it's usually just a day or two. But have you seen moms like express any of these feelings? Not in the immediate postpartum. Okay. When I like first was chatting with it or I mentioned, um, I shared it with a couple friends. I had one friend who was like, oh my gosh. This is the same mm. thing. I'm so glad you talked about it. And she's a very, this sounds silly, but she's a very level-headed friend. It was her second baby as well. And so I thought, oh, you know, if she is feeling this too, this is a real thing. Cause I just, you know, I value her input and her um, really levelness in motherhood and momhood and stuff. So, and then when I was sharing like more with my clinical colleagues, it was so interesting, even, you know, like my 50 or 60 year old nurses who have been in the NICU forever and have three kids and all that same thing. They were, you know, 40 years ago and they're like, oh my gosh, I felt this with my kids or I hated breastfeeding because I hated how I felt. So it's just been an interesting thing to talk about more because I think it is one of those, it's not a diagnosis, but I'm using the word diagnosis. It's like a diagnosis that is just underdiagnosed or under mm-hmm. yeah. understood. And so if we could somehow retrospectively go back and like pull all these women, I think we'd be surprised at the percentage of women who maybe walk through this. Have you in your 
you know, in your experience, did you have any support groups that you knew about, like even like online or anything, or did you look into any? I did not. It was just the personal connection of like finding people who were pretty sure they had it too. Mm -hmm. And then just the sweetness of those people checking in on you was helpful too. I have an Instagram community where we talk labor delivery, postpartum, all this stuff. So I've definitely shared there and, you know, it's sweet even there women, you know, how, how is the deemer, you know, are you still feeling it? What's it like? And of course I teach about it as well. So they can, I don't know, maybe feel a little more seen or understand mm-hmm. it as well. But I, I have not seen really specific groups that, you know, walk in it together or share in it together. There is a severity spectrum. And so I think I would say that my severity of deemer is, mild in that I like you can have suicidal ideation in these moments like when it's that intense or it's that severe for people and I would say that mine is um, severe in that I have it the entirety of my breastfeeding experiences with my kids so some people it gets better as the months go by or actually can totally fade away after the first few months Mm -hmm. things like that and I have it until the day that I totally wean my kids and then I did not feel it pumping with my second child and I feel it now when I pump with my third as well so I just brought that up because I think that perhaps there could be some people who are sharing and talking about it more specifically if they have the a more severe form of it and really need that support in a much more intentional or necessary way. But I found that a lot of times you just share and then another woman's like, oh my gosh. And then that's kind of been the most I've found in terms of community related to. Mm-hmm. It's just so, it's just so crazy. Like, you know, that it's like this physiological condition and it's not like psychological. And I feel like we have so many things as women postpartum that we have to worry about. Like, and it's like, oh, come on. Like, I know. You know, and like you, it's just, I mean, I'm a firm believer in knowing everything gives me more power and more courage and all of those things rather than, you know, like I would never want this, you know, podcast topic to cause fear in somebody. So if you're like a a first time mom and you're currently pregnant, and this is a very rare condition, but if you started having these feelings postpartum and you didn't know anything about it, you would just be like, what on earth is happening? But if you, you know, you have this information at your disposal, you're like, oh my gosh, there's a name for this. I know what this is. I recently heard a podcast on it. And so that's like, that I think is really cool is when we have, you know, this information um, at our fingertips and can, you know, assign it to something that we've experienced, but it is rare. So, you know, if you're listening to this, like, don't be super concerned. This, this is definitely going to happen to you or anything like that. But I do think it's crazy. We just have, you know, so many things postpartum that I think women for years and years and years never talked about. And now that we're in a society where people are just much more vulnerable in general, I feel like with social media, people will share a lot more things, which I I do think is good, right? Because I do think that people are able to feel a sense of community and a sense of belonging, especially if you're experiencing something rare. Um, whereas before, you know, it was just like who you knew and, you know, a majority of those people probably weren't ever experiencing that particular thing that you are experiencing. So I do think that's one of the cool things that we can kind of take away from, you know, the internet and social media connecting people from like around the world is that you can find people that are experiencing the literal exact same thing as you Mm -hmm. and kind of find that comfort. 
I think it's important that you brought that up too, like that idea of that first time mom or actually, you know, this can happen, I guess, at any time. So in general, mm-hmm. if you're about to have a baby and, you know, worried about this, I, I agree. Breastfeeding is hard enough. We don't need another thing to kind of make us fear it or worry about it. So I think it is important to tuck it away like you, like I'm more, even when I talk over with my community, like let's learn about every single thing, the C-section you don't want or the episiotomy mm-hmm. you don't want, et cetera. Because then if you are faced with them, even if the percentage is small, there's so much less fear associated with it. I think that a lot of people choose to educate by, you know, only pursuing that which they hope happens, right? Especially related to labor, birth, et cetera. And so I don't disagree with that mentality. It can be exactly what some of us need mentally in the way we kind of process things. But I am much more of the understand all the things and then just tuck them in the little box because the Mm -hmm. hardest part of this for me was feeling like a crappy mom because I hated breastfeeding and you're supposed to love breastfeeding, right? Like that's the dialogue out there. And I think people are being more honest, like, oh no, it's super hard. You can hate this part of it. I don't like it at all, et cetera. So just understanding like, hey, if I have these sort of feelings, this is probably what it is, or, you know, dig in a little more and figure it out and then understand it's not a reflection of your motherhood or your relationship with your child or your feeding relationship. Cause that is why I felt so crappy. And initially why I was so mad at my husband, it felt like he was, you know, criticizing me for not like being the quote unquote, like good mom who Mm -hmm. loves to bounce into the nursery and take care of the baby. And so, yeah. So Real quick before we kind of dive into some questions from the community, let's just kind of briefly go over, you know, we talked about how this is different than, you know, something psychological, like a postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression thing, like things like that. So when you're experiencing this, this is going to be strictly just feelings that are tied with breastfeeding, correct? Like you're not having any of these feelings outside of that particular activity. Yes. So that the hard part is it can obviously coincide like with PPD or PPA. And then it's really hard to like, ex, you know, pick all these mm. things apart. So I had significant postpartum anxiety with my second, which might have been complicating me figuring out what I was feeling and understanding. Mm. But if you strictly have Deemer, which you absolutely can, and you can have none of the other stuff going on, it is only related to that milk ejection reflex timing. And then otherwise you feel pretty darn good. So that's like it's tell, I think, is that you sit down. And I mean, I sit down still with my son now, my most recent, he's eight months, sit down and the drop in my stomach, I swear, is almost the second I like pick him up and bring him to breast because, you know, like your body starts clicking in and doing the things even before they latch, like here the hormones start like diving and jumping. And so I like go to latch him and I can be laughing with my four-year-old and my three-year-old or, you know, just have walked away from, I don't know, dinner table or something. And it is just like, boom, the bottom falls out. And I think that that is a pretty common experience for all the women who experiences this is that instant feeling mm-hmm. and then it's cessation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just crazy. And, you know, I, I can, I can only relate because I would be doing the same thing and, and I would, the level of anxiety I had before feeding my child when I had like open wounds on Ugh, my nipples, was, I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. I mean, I would be in a straight out panic attack, mm-hmm. like every hour on the hour. I mean, you're feeding these babies so very much. frequently and there's no, I don't think there are any words to kind of 
like describe the actual feeling you go through when you're going through those motions and like having to attach a baby. And like in my particular case, I don't know if it's like nipple shape or what have you, but I just, like I said, I mean, I was an expert by baby number four and I still had issues. Like I still had to use the APNO cream, which I literally tell everybody about now. Cause I'm like, you don't need to suffer. I heard just you know talk about this. it on another podcast. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> know that this cream exists. Like there are some yeah. people that need it. I use it for like two or three days, like the second, like my baby latched and I was good to go with, with my fourth. And I swear it made all the difference in the world because like, I just knew, I knew my body. I know like my breastfeeding story is always the same in that I always struggle for like six weeks and like, I'm going back and forth with open wounds on both sides. And I just didn't want to do it this time. And yeah, I can kind of relate just in that, like, I would just get this like, Oh, just like this pent up anxiety yeah. that I felt like I was like leaving my body. <laughs> like, no, actually, a quick note about that. So Deemer has three kind of like towers or ways you can uh, classify it now. And mm-hmm. so it's despondency Deemer, which is what I have. So the sadness one where you just feel so hollow. Mm-hmm. Anxiety Deemer is another one. And so that's actual like anxiousness during that letdown process, which I could act. I can say I, I'm not anxious, I'm sad. And then there's an agitation one. And so oh. kind of what you were saying uh, too, I think that again, that's why it can be hard to kind of pull this out of all the things going on those first few weeks because right. you're anxious, like you said, because that latch is going to hurt and it, your nipples are cracked and stuff. And so eventually I think many of us realize what's going on later because we get through that hard season that you just talked about. And then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm still feeling this every time I latch my baby and it doesn't hurt. So why am I still, you know? Yeah. Okay. So let's do a couple of questions here. So let's see somebody, it looks like this person has it. And she said hers varies very much like throughout the day even. Now is, is that common? Like for it to, so say in the morning time, she's, she's having it like more, heightened feelings mm-hmm. while nursing than she is like later on in the day or, or, you know, day to day is different. Yeah. So I just want to say this real quick. I have just done tons of research and that, and then have the personal history. So I don't, I perhaps like a provider or a lactation consultant would answer this differently. I, th- I think I've done about as much research, research as you can at this point related to the topic. So For me personally, I feel it more in um, the morning feeds because Mm -hmm. I think perhaps I'm like fuller and the letdown can be more aggressive or um, I will have more of them. Of course, we all have different letdown patterns and different, you know, like milk supply uh, patterns and stuff. With my first baby as well, I like I mentioned, I didn't feel it pumping and I have no idea why because the process is the same. I also never felt it at night with my kids. And that, and my supposition here is that it's simply because I'm just like so exhausted, half awake, like your body just isn't as aware and like my brain wasn't, but that is totally me just supposing about why. Mm -hmm. So I think ultimately I would just say, I agree with her. Mine is not like the same level of feeling throughout the day with every letdown at every feed. And then the other time, sometimes I think is if I'm like, I don't like this. And like, I almost like talk myself up, like here it comes, then it feels more aggressive. And that's simply because I'm not kind of taking those good steps of saying like, here it comes, you're fine. Okay, there it goes. And so because it's so personal, like 
even within each day, the way I'm responding to it or what I'm doing right before can have an effect as well mm-hmm. as some of that like physical stuff. I said, like a more active letdown. I think it's my letdown is like more or stronger in the mornings. Cause you know, he hasn't eaten all night or whatever. So, but I don't know that for sure. I've not seen anything that says, yeah, you know, it's worse in the morning because your prolactin's this and your dopamine's that, or, you know, like things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. All right. Let's see here. What's the difference between Deemer and a nursing aversion? So they talk about that in a lot of sources too. Um, a lot of people have like nursing aversions. Did you ever tandem breastfeed? Were your kids close enough or were you ever doing no, that? No, I could never get pregnant while nursing. Okay. So I always had to wean in order to get pregnant. To get so pregnant. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that that happens. So like nursing aversions, many of you probably know what that is, but often it's common when you're like trying to tandem breastfeed and mm-hmm. you end up like the funky hormones going on of pregnancy happening with lactation of the mm-hmm. baby you already have. And so I think that aversion is not that, it's not that wave. It's not that, you know, that response really specific to let down. It's more mm-hmm. the true, like, I don't want to do this right now because I, it's so hard to explain the difference because of something else. So aversion is usually because you have that nipple pain, like you talked Mm -hmm. about, or because of the feelings that you do have when you're doing the tandem nursing. And I would say Deemer is just so much more specific in that you have that feeling every time, every feed and aversion from what I understand is not every time, every feed, every Mm -hmm. day, you know, it's more of an ebb and flow related to kind of what's happening in that moment or in your day or you know, with the other kids, et cetera. So you kind of spoke to this. So this woman said, I have this. I'm still nursing my nine-month-old, and I'm wondering if it will ever go away, which you did address, which is the answer is probably not. It at depends. This point. <laughs> yeah, I would guess she's going to have it the whole time if it hasn't gone now. Yeah. Is there anything you can do to prevent it? No, so there is not. And I will say, just because we mentioned earlier, like not having this fear going into it, Prior like depression or anxiety, things that are often an indicator of possibly having PPD or PPA, uh, none of that indicates that you will have this either. So Mm -hmm. if you're like, great, I'm a setup for this too, like get rid of that thought. It's not true at all. Mm -hmm. If you had Deemer with your first baby, will you have it with your second? So everything I know, the answer is yes. Once you have it, once you get it, every baby. And I've had one baby since my first experience and I do have it again. So Mm, Interesting. So you're saying, so you didn't have it with your first. did not. But you had it with your second. And then after you have it once, you are? As far as I understand it, once you have it with a child, you will have it with any baby you have after. That's like the collective experience of everyone so far. Interesting. Let's see here. I have no appetite while breastfeeding, and sometimes I'm really nauseous afterwards. Deemer or PPA? I would say not Deemer. Because you continue to feel sick after. Nausea is like a common way we classify Deemer. Like I feel sick to my stomach. That's how I feel it. But it goes away. And so Mm -hmm. I would say there's something else potentially going on that's causing that continued nausea. Yeah. And as as you've mentioned like multiple times throughout the episode, this is very classic when you are having an actual letdown. Yep. 
That's right. It. So, yep. I mean, there's a, there's a couple other questions. That's like, what about nausea before my letdown? What about nausea, you know, after I'm already done breastfeeding, that sort of thing yeah. is going to be different and separate. Yeah. Let's see here. I had Deemer. I was depressed and nauseous for about two minutes with each letdown. Uh, why did I get this? So, well, yeah. Why do you get it in general? Big picture? I have no idea. And it's weird to me. Why did I not get it with my first and all of a sudden my second time, you know, my body decided to do something different specifically. And we don't have to go into all the science. Dopamine, prolactin and oxytocin are like the hormones doing things when we have letdown. And what causes Deemer is that our dopamine falls too low. So dopamine inhibits prolactin, which is your milk maker. So we need it to fall. All of us, our dopamine falls when we express milk. So we need it to fall so prolactin can, quote unquote, make milk. And so that's what's happening during our like uh, our letdown experience. The problem here is that our dopamine falls way too low for some reason. So your dopamine, for whatever reason, has decided to fall more than technically the body needs it to to make your milk. It's so weird. And then just just levels itself out. Like it's after so. a couple minutes. It's just so strange. Okay, so... How common is this? We kind of addressed that. When should a mother seek help? So I think, I mean, right away, just because there is that issue of like this getting tangled up in PPD or PPI. So truly, if you're having like significant, you know, breastfeeding anxiety or issues, I hope you're seeing an LC in general or reaching out to your midwife or your OB, especially, you know, in these first six weeks, but definitely after, because I did not really realize this until right around that six week point. So I would encourage people to just run this by a provider as soon as you think that there's something more going on than like Mm -hmm. baby blues and, you know, the first couple of weeks of latcher, et cetera. So, I mean, should other, should you be seeking help like all along or, I mean, is it helpful or maybe just in the beginning to try to differentiate between what you might have, you know? So I think that once you know you have Deemer, there's not a whole lot you can do. If this is going to lead you to stopping your breastfeeding or expressing relationship with your baby and you do not want to, please talk to someone first. There Mm -hmm. are people who just choose to stop breastfeeding because it can be that severe. And there are possibly things that can be done to help. There's not a ton again, but I would just encourage you to get a provider into your story before you just quit breastfeeding because of how gross you feel during it. If you need to, do it. Like nobody needs to have this hanging over them every time they latch a baby on. But see a provider before you make that choice. Yeah. So this is interesting one. Can this happen months into exclusive pumping? You know, I'm not sure. And so I don't want to even like suppose or suggest uh, suggest to that. Nobody that I really have talked to has felt it in those those immediate weeks of baby. And I think that's probably because all of our hormones are so wild. Mm, Yeah. But I would say like months later, we've hit our postpartum normal. I know things still are adjusting until we totally wean. So I I have no idea. That'd be an interesting thing to dig into more Mm -hmm. research. I would think that by, you know, 8, 10, 12 weeks postpartum, our body's kind of settled into like what we're doing and how we're feeding unless it makes a massive change. Or perhaps later. it's one of those things where, you know, someone might've been having it all along, but they're just yes. realizing it's very specific to just let down, you right. know what I mean? And then they're like, oh, maybe I had this or whatever. Right. But, okay. Last one here. Uh, could this affect anxiety levels at other times? Like, you know, you, you have this situation and I mean, we kind of address this as well, but does having Deemer put you more at risk for having, you know, so say you have anxiety when you have your letdown, is that going to increase your chances of having anxiety throughout different parts of your postpartum period? 
so there's no like clinical connection between like if you have DMR, you will also have PPA or PPP. Mm-hmm. I will say, so I had postpartum anxiety again with my second, not with my third. And I felt more, well, that's hard because I already had PPA. I just felt anxious always. This was like part of the anxiety. So my specific anxiety postpartum was related to my own. My mom had died in my first postpartum. I feel like that's relevant. And so I was Mm. terrified of my own death in my second postpartum season. It was about a year later. Okay. And so Deemer was just like more anxiety inside of my anxiety. So my guess is I would have been doing better without the Deemer, right? Because it was just exacerbating and increasing all these fears about my body, about my health, et cetera. And so my personal situation, I think it all made it all, it was all worse. It was just piling on top of each other. And I was more anxious because of this and not knowing what was going on. And am I really okay? But I think if you don't have existing anxiety, I think it's logical to say that it shouldn't make you more anxious otherwise, except for what you mentioned, just that like, oh, I don't want to go breastfeed. This is going to be uncomfortable or frustrating. And if you are feeling that, I would, again, probably chat with the provider and say, hey, do I have some you know, PPA going on here too, with or without yeah. that associated DEMER? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Is there anything that you think we might've missed like throughout just talking about it and in the Q&A? Is there anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. Okay. So I'm going to ask you two random questions that don't deal with the topic that we talked about today at all. So the first one is if you could give one piece of advice for, you know, moms, new moms, what would it be? You are the right mom for your baby. Even if you have Deemer or PPA or PPD. I think I struggled with that a ton because I was walking through so much personally when I had my kids and I thought they deserve someone better and they deserve someone who's more whole right now. And Mm -hmm. that's not true. Wherever we are, wherever you are, you're still the mom intended for that child. I love that. All right. So then the next question is a little more lighthearted. So if there was one meal that you could make for your family uh, that's, you know, like rather quick and easy that you know everyone will eat, what would it be? So this is super hard because my five-year-old is so annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that on so many levels. <laughs> I tell my husband always, I'm like, I'm so proud of the way we've done food because I refuse to make them their own meal. Like, oh, I'm so straight up. My four-year-old has not eaten dinner in a good six months. I kid you not. That is my six daughter. Months. She's going to be five in November, but yes. You'll big same. breakfast. And they do. They they yeah. will adjust their eating habits, yep. you know, but I am on that track. I've, <laughs> I've also never, 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 never made a separate meal. Nope. No. Nope. Certainly with four kids. No way. No <laughs> way. Was horn there and I'm like, nope, that is one thing I refuse to do. They go to bed hungry. They wake up hangry and I do not care. So <laughs> all that to say, we do have the best luck with like a deconstructed meal. So mm-hmm. like tacos, uh, like a Euro night, stuff like that. Always we have the best success. Maybe even we get my older daughter to eat some because they get to decide what to put on their plate and what to eat. And so yeah, yeah. it makes it so like a Euro, like Euro night, like, no, they don't eat lamb meat, but they eat like the pita and the hummus and some cheese and all of that. So yeah. when I really hope or want them to eat for whatever reason, I do something like that, that they get to like build their own bowl or build Mm -hmm. their own plate. And so often that's just like tacos and stuff too. Yeah. I do think 
That's an interesting point that you made that I never really thought about, but the deconstruction of meals, like my, so my four-year-old, the really picky one right now, um, they go through phases too. Like he used to eat a lot and now he's just not, but he'll always do better if the meal is all separated yep. as opposed to all together. So like a lot of the meals I make are obviously like all thrown in and I personally want my meal all together. Like there's nothing worse than having like a fettuccine Alfredo with like everything separated, including yep. the sauce, you know what I mean? But like, you know, when I'm feeling it, it, like I want to do that, I will separate yeah. everything specifically for him because he will eat, you know, the noodles and then the chicken right. and then the, but he won't eat it all together. Right. I mean, isn't that what, what, it's probably why they make us all these separate kid portioned plates with four different slots, right? Because yeah. that's the way they exactly. like to see their food. So right. when we can, we just kind of like leave things apart and try to give her more of an opportunity to decide if she will eat dinner or not, but yeah. yeah, it's still not great. So all of you who have four-year-olds who it's want a struggle. to eat, I feel ya. It's, you got it. It's a real struggle. <laughs> I don't know what it is either because like, I'm like trying to figure out what I did wrong because my eight-year-old will eat anything and everything I ever make. Like it's incredible. Like she'll eat any vegetable, any, any, anything. And, and she'll tell me, I mean, occasionally she'll be like, mom, I actually really don't like this. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You tried it. So that's great. But I'm like, what happened with the other ones? I don't know where I went wrong. That's how I feel. You know, like I didn't do anything differently with my, well, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I did. Maybe I like made more like, I don't know, like those pre put together like purees or whatever. I mean, I had a lot more time when it was just one kid. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but you, you start to wonder like. I made my own baby food for a while with my first and then was like, ha. I don't know. Yeah. I've read it. So, but she's my crappy eater. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I with, with my fourth, I did do like, I will say I probably went on like a few week kick of like, oh, okay, I'll make something. And it would just, I just keep it in a container for the week, yes. you know, when they weren't eating a lot. It's like when you first introduce food, right. but as they get older and they need more food, I'm like, this is for the birds. Like yeah, I cannot, I, cannot. I, I, <laughs> I, just, I agree. Yeah, life is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I just settle for those like cerebelli packets and my kids get a lot of milk and they love it. So (laughs) anyways, it was so great to have you Lo. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on here and talk to us about this topic that I feel like is really important for people to know about. Thanks, Lindsay. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.